0: Connecting for positive change. Hello and welcome to the first in a short series of podcasts focusing on industrial decarbonisation and in particular the Industrial Energy Transformation Fund provided by the Department for Energy Security and Net Zero. My name is Jenny McDonnell, and the podcast series is brought to you today by Innovate UK on behalf of DESNI's. The purpose of this podcast series is to encourage the permanent deployment of industrial energy efficiency and decarbonisation technologies with support from the Industrial Energy Transformation Fund. The fund is providing capital investment to industrial sites in England, Wales and Northern Ireland to help them to reduce their energy demand and carbon emissions associated with their industrial process. There is also a sister fund, the Scottish IETF, which is being delivered by the Scottish Government and provides similar support. You can find more information about the IETF programme at the link in the description below and also sign up to receive KTN newsletters and updates on the IETF fund when it returns for Phase 3 in 2024. So following on from this first podcast today, which is coming from the food and drink sector, We'll continue with uh, two more podcasts from industrial sites within the ceramic sector and the chemical sector. So do keep a watch out for those podcasts as they are published in the coming weeks. Uh, Joining me today though, we have Kelvin Winch from Britvic and Andy McKnight from Heineken. So hello to you both. Would you like to introduce yourselves and tell us about your role within your organization? So uh, Andy, if you'd like to go first.
1: Oh, hello. Uh, I'm Andy McDyke. I work for Heineken UK. I'm a principal project manager, so I tend to do projects in uh, supply chain for Heineken UK, one of which is the challenge of uh, the Net Zero programme of
2: our brewery operations to hit Net Zero.
0: Lovely. Thank you, Andy. Uh, and now Calvin.
2: Hello. Yes, my name's Calvin Winch. So, been working for Brickvic Soft for the last fifteen years or so. Uh, so, doing different roles around the business, but mainly within engineering and mainly within capital expenditure projects. Uh, in the last couple of years, I've been mainly focusing on sustainability projects and creating a roadmap to make Brickvic supply chain more sustainable going forwards.
0: That's great. So thanks to you both for joining us for the podcast today to share your experiences of the IETF program with us. Before we get into the detail of, of what you've actually been doing on your sites, so though, I thought it would be quite good to understand some of the specific challenges that you think the food and drink sector as a whole are, are facing on their journey to net zero. And um, so Calvin, would you like to give us your your views on, on how those ch- what those challenges are for the food and drink sector?
2: Yeah, so um, a big part of our emissions sits outside of our direct operations. So within Scope 3, so that's around 90% of our, our emissions. So that's from suppliers to consumers. And I think um, within food and drink, there's probably a little bit of an action gap on the consumer side in terms of what people say they want, what they actually do in terms of what, what they purchase. So I think there's a, a, a little bit of an education piece needed still to to move consumers to more sustainable pack types, so refill products and dispense rather than single serve. Um, But within our factories, so what we are in control of around our scope one and two, I think electricity is a reasonably easy enough challenge for for food and drinks so with grid decarbonizing and uh, rego options are fairly cost effective to be able to make your electricity net zero i think that's that's quite manageable i think where it's difficult is the decarbonizing our, our thermal processes so We use a fair bit of heat around uh, a beverage site, so for cleaning our equipment and pasteurization of products, that kind of thing. And that heat has always traditionally come from gas-fired steam boilers. And so over the last 20, 30 years, we've we've built our factories around that infrastructure. So moving away from from gas is is quite tricky because of that infrastructure change. It's quite costly in terms of CapEx. But also, um, gas is still a cheap, easy easy means to, to create thermal energy and, and and move it around the factory so so i think i think that thermal load is is where the challenge is for us
0: and that i, I presume that's going to be a, a common challenge to a lot of different uh, food and drink factories <sighs> yeah
2: i i think that's the case when we've been doing external benchmarking around our um uh, other other food and drink sectors i think that's always come back to the challenge of how how do you move away from gas fired steam boilers for for your thermal loads
0: yeah thank you calvin and and andy do you have any other challenges that you see that uh, the food and drink face
1: yeah i mean What Kelvin said was that we have exactly the same challenge, so um, no surprise, really, uh, given we have very similar types of processes. Yeah. Uh, We're a high-volume, low-margin type of operation. Uh, We're quite heavily regulated, uh, heavily taxed, rightly so. Um, And we're always under constant challenges from our customers, uh, the supermarkets etc mm. but and but moving forward more so uh under our consumers uh understanding you know they're beginning to understand more and more about the impact of what they buy on the planet and making choices around that mm-hmm. um so some of the challenges we have uh is that sustainability doesn't Uh, necessarily make us any leaner Uh, it probably adds complexity it probably costs us more to operate it definitely costs us more to uh, invest in the technologies to make us more sustainable but as but ultimately it's a necessary requirement to operate you know we we don't shy away from from this and uh you know, we realise that in, in order to still be, you know, uh, a viable business going forward, we, we need to invest in these things and um, and make it work. So, uh, And we are doing so.
0: That's great. Great to hear from both of you. I, I guess in a way it's quite encouraging that the public are taking more of an interest in net zero and, and choosing to buy products based on that as well going forward. If we go, you know, we are moving towards that net zero goal 2050, so we do need to take the customers along with us, as, as well as, as all the great things that you guys are doing. So that's really yeah. interesting, thank you. I guess if we focus in now on your companies in particular and, and why decarbonisation is so important to your business and, and maybe talk about some of the measures you've already put in place to make your operations more resilient and sustainable, um, so Kelvin, for instance, do you have uh, a net zero carbon target that Vic are working
2: towards? Yeah, we do so. um obviously, decarbonisation is really important to Vic. so uh, I suppose the adverse effects of it, so extreme weather by climate change, etc., that, that has a real impact on our supply chain resilience. Uh, so we've got a healthy people, healthy planet strategy within Brickwick, And part of that strategy focuses on uh, decarbonization. Uh, so we've got a net zero target um, to be fully net zero within the business by 2050. Uh, and then we've also got a target to be a 50% reduction in our scope one and two and 35% reduction in scope three by 2025. And that's baselined against our 2017 year.
0: That's really challenging then for 2025.
2: That. That that's an emissions target. Um, like I say, we've done we, we've done a lot of work on uh, scope one and two. So all of our electricity is now net zero, and we've actually just signed a deal, uh, a ten-year PPA deal, uh, private power purchase agreement, uh, with an offsite solar farm. So we've invested in that, and that's going to supply seventy-five percent of the UK electricity, with the remaining twenty-five percent being Regos. Um, and we've done other projects as well in, in our site in Brazil, we've introduced a biomass boiler, so that's really helped with their emissions. Uh, and we've also switched out from gas to an electric boiler at one of our smaller sites in Ireland, in Newcastle West. Uh, so that's that's kind of well on its way to, to becoming a, a net zero site now.
0: That's great, lovely. And, and Andy, would you like to share Heineken's um, decarbonisation strategy?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, we've always taken our responsibilities, you know, seriously with, you know, uh, over the years with energy re- uh, con- consumption reduction uh, routes to market uh, like plastics was uh, high on the agenda recent years. And we've moved away significantly away from plastics to things like Green Grip that you now see in supermarket shelves and, um but Heineken, a couple of years ago, have a global strategy called Evergreen, mm-hmm. and within that uh, strategy, there's a commitment to be net zero in our global brewery operations by 2030. Um, so that's the scope one and two emissions. The scope three, the commitment is uh, to have uh, net zero by 2040. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our core values uh, is around care for people and planet, and we demonstrate that by, you know, we're always looking to raise the bar on sustainability in the UK, and we have large ambitions in the UK to sort of beat this goal of being net zero in brewery operations before the end of the decade.
0: That's great, and that's a great challenge, though. That's a, a, you know, quite a short period of time to to get there by the end of the decade so very well done to both of you for that For uh, the company setting such uh, ambitious targets mm-hmm. to get zero. yeah definitely and back to calvin now um now we know why Britvic are investing in Internet zero what you're doing could you share an overview of what the ietf funding is helping you to do at your site in london
2: yeah yeah so uh the, the site where the investment uh, is being made is our Becton site in East London. So that's uh, a site we've kind of chosen as a lead site in the GB for, for decarbonising and, and moving uh, to be one of the first net zero sites for the UK. Um, and one of the main projects to enable that is a process source heat pump. So this is what the ITF funding is, is helping us do there. And this system will collect 40 degrees waste heat from our chilling plant. So we chill our products prior to filling them uh, and also waste heat from our high pressure air compressors. So we blow our own PET bottles on site. So the waste heat from the compressors for that, we, we collect that heat as well, we'll be looking to do. And then we'll uh, the heat pump will boost the temperature of that up to 92 degrees. And then this will be pumped around the factory and it'll uh, offset and reduce the steam heating load that we currently use, uh, and we're looking to probably reduce the steam requirements by around 75%, uh, yeah. so it's going to make a, a big impact on on the amount of natural gas that we burn on site there.
0: And do you have a feel for how what sort of carbon emissions you might save um, through that? Did
2: yeah, you? it's probably uh, estimating around 1,800 tonnes of carbon a year. That's brilliant.
0: Well, excellent news um and andy would you like to also share your project that's been funded by the IETF south think that's a brewery in manchester is that right
1: that's correct so almost <laughs> carbon copy with britbit but yeah we're <laughs> we're looking our first site to go with is the manchester site um and uh some people would say, "Why did we pick that?" It was because it's the closest site to where I live, but uh, <laughs> I tell you that wasn't the the reason. But uh, but um, yeah, exactly the same. We're looking to uh, use the funding from the IETF to install a new heat uh, network uh, using heat pumps. Uh, so exactly the same. We're going to use rejected heat from our refrigeration processes on site, uh, rejected heat from uh, air compressors and using that rejected heat, using the heat pump technology um, to uh, create a a new heat network on site um, to supply ultimately processes that don't need direct steam um, yeah. uh, support your know, in, in, um, uh, energy, so it's those processes like cleaning processes, pasteurisation, uh, etc. That will will use this new heat network.
0: So, is the fund? It's, it's it's funding actually the technology to capture the heat, to upgrade the heat, and move the heat around your site. All of that is
1: within. It's the- all of it. It's, it's all of it. So, it's to capture it. It's to installing uh, the heat network uh which is significant it's a heat pump it's civils uh the manchester site's been there for uh over 150 years so it's um uh quite parts of it quite old uh, so we need to spend quite a lot of money on civils to get this large equipment in uh and electricity, infrastructure upgrades, because obviously we're dealing with quite significant uh power here. Mm-hmm. So the IETF fund is is uh supporting all those activities uh, uh as we go through.
2: No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah and I I think that me. sounds race. Very similar to the Becton site in terms of the big infrastructure costs. So yeah, again, for us civils and the actual heat network around the site were some big costs, but now that infrastructure's in future projects will be a lot easier to to do because we can um, build on that 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 infrastructure that that's gone in. That's
0: brilliant. And and I guess my question to both of you, would you have done this without IETF support? Is it something you could have done as soon as you
2: had <laughs> I think for Brickvick, it, it would have definitely delayed the project um, because the, the funding just helped reduce that that risk for us. So it's a new technology for us as a business. And again, it's probably fairly new technology for food and drink within the UK. Um, so the funding kind of brought that risk profile back down to an acceptable level that we're we're happy to move at pace with it.
1: Great, and Andy exactly, and we exactly the same. But the way I, you know it's it you know for our uh accountants and for our senior management teams, it definitely sweetened the the deal for a better phrase. <laughs> um, so I think yes, we probably would have done it without IETF at some stage, but it definitely uh, lubricated the process through for us and just okay. to add in some of the numbers that you oh, asked yeah. earlier yeah i just wanted to you know for the manchester site we're looking just below 50 percent reduction mm-hmm. in the amount of natural gas we use once this is up and running and the approximate tonic is about five and a half thousand tons a year
0: again these are huge amounts huge reductions so it it it's not an incremental thing you do here as well. It's it should make a real difference.
1: Yes, it's a big,
2: big step change. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, exactly. And uh, you know, and we're having these numbers verified by third party independent third party organizations, uh, so that we can talk externally to customers. Yeah. Uh, like the supermarkets and have know that these numbers are being independently validated. So yeah um even though it's costing us a lot you know rightly so we're making uh news about it with our customers and consumers to say look you know we are taking this seriously going forward so you know uh, and it goes back to what i said at the beginning which is you know it supports our license to operate going forward
0: yeah yeah that's great. Mm-hmm. And I guess that kind of feeds nicely into our last question. So obviously you guys have benefited from the IETF and there has been a reasonable amount of funding for industrial decarbonisation on the RD side as well. Um, but what further support do you think you'd like to see from government? Um, is what they're currently offering fit for purpose? And I, I know it's encouraging you guys to decarbonise, but is there anything more that they could do um, to, to encourage other Food and drink manufacturers to to decarbonise. So, Andy, do you want to go first on that one?
1: Yeah, Um, you know, like I say, obviously the uh, support—it's great to have it because we we obviously won't be here talking about it. But um, uh, you know, if you if you distill it back to the sort of the 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 basics of it, the way I see it is that you know we're a large process site that needs energy to to run the site and and those energy, those fuels that uh, help us with that is as simple as natural gas and electricity. Mm. And the aim ultimately is to bring net zero fuel onto site that keeps us running commercially viable. Uh, And that's where we start to have the challenges because I always explain this like, imagine going home and saying, you know, I, I need to shut off the natural gas to the boiler, but I've still got to run the house in the same way for heating it and getting instantaneous hot water. Mm. And that's the challenge that we're having to do. So my my experience is that where we can get more support is I can control a lot of uh what we can do on site because obviously we understand our processes and what we can do to do that. But when I look over the boundary walls, I don't see as much as I would like to see uh, in respect to those fuels. So obviously hydrogen is definitely a possible and a probable fuel of the future. And, you know, that's definitely one of the areas we we are uh, involved with. But when I've looked at things like geothermal, uh for for our sites. I really just couldn't get it off the ground. Right. Um so therefore what you end up doing is going back to you know a fuel that we were dependent on, which is electricity, and then you get into problems that we're starting to experience, which is that the you know the grid and the electric uh, the, the providers uh won't be able to necessarily guarantee us the uh, infrastructure expansions when we want it and mm. ultimately at costs that we can afford. So, for me, the support needs to be around what are the alternative viable fuels of the future?
0: Yes, yeah, so the sort of government support more for the energy networks so that they can provide you with the infrastructure you need to be able to do fuel switching to electricity or in, to allow you to decarbonize. It's yes, sort
2: of exactly. Energy
0: networks that need to support. That's yeah, great. And, Calvin. And-
2: yeah, I was going to say I'd echo quite a lot of that. And so especially the, the grid infrastructure. So that's that's been a hindrance to us uh, previously when we've looked to expand our electrical connections at site. Um, and that's not only for import, so where we want to use more electricity rather than burning gas on in, in different processes, but actually also where we potentially want to connect on site renewables. So um, quite often there's an export cap, which means it's not commercially viable to, say, put soda on or or do other on-site renewables. So, so we're finding that a bit of a challenge. Um, but I think coming back to the funding, I think the the ITF funding has been really good for us, as I said previously. It helped us um, act with pace, really, and, and crack on and get making some changes quickly, which which we need to do to to hit our targets. Um, I think we're It could be better is having clearer policy going forward. So a lot of the decisions we're trying to make is switching fuel types. As Andy said, do you go down a hydrogen route or a different route or do you wait? Um, And a lot of the technology switches also a big capital cost. So we're looking to write those costs off over the next 10 years plus. So we need certainty to be able to make those decisions early. So um, if the policy changes later on, um, or the, the the forward kind of cost pricing on carbon and different fuel sources changes, then it might leave us with a stranded asset. So that, that really kind of limits how quickly we can change our operations. Yeah. So so that and then also potentially helping with uh, the operational costs with different fuel sources. So historically, there's a renewable heat incentive for for both domestic and commercial. um, Mm. So for commercial heat pumps, so something like that to help level out the playing field for for moving away from gas and into electric and other fuel sources would, would be really beneficial.
0: Yeah, for a similar amount of time, because the, the Renewable Heat Incentive was a kind of, you signed up to it and got support for five or six years, I think it was, um, to give you a chance to, I guess, get used to that that cost of the renewable heat. Is that the sort of thing you would be happy with?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just, yeah, whatever can help with the business case to make, make it viable commercially. So, because at the end of the day, we still got to... Um, be a commercial business, but uh, anything that that helps that swing would would be uh, beneficial and and give a bit more forward certainty on some of the costings.
0: Well, thank you both for those. Uh, There's really good ideas in there, and I I will share those with uh, Desnes um, coming up to another comprehensive spending review. So they will be looking for ideas of what they can do uh, going forward for you in the future. Well, I'm afraid we, we need to wrap up now. So thank you so much to Calvin to and Andy. Um, it's been great to have you with us today and to learn more about the progress that you're making on industrial decarbonization uh, at your site and other sites that you have in the UK. And um, Thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast today. I hope you found it enjoyable and informative and that it encourages you to do something on your site. A link to KTN's website has been added to the description below. So don't forget to sign up to receive our newsletters and the IETF uh, updates. Phase three will be kicking off um, in 2024 and you'll hear it first uh, on the KTN website. In our next episode, we'll be hearing from industrial sites from the ceramics industry. So I hope you'll join us for that next week. But for now, goodbye.